Welcome to Menu Stories, a series where we get to know the stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. This is our podcast, and I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein. Today we meet Chef Sung An of Mosu, a Michelin-starred restaurant in San Francisco's Fillmore District that offers a blend of refined Asian cuisine with a focus on Korean menu elements. Mosu opened just over a year ago in what Eater called one of the country's most anticipated restaurant openings. Chef An has a prestigious culinary background, which includes names like the French Laundry, Bennu, and Aziza, so it's hard to imagine that An once had a grittier life. As a troubled teen, he made a decision to set himself on the right path and join the army, where he was exposed to a sense of discipline that has helped him rise to the success he has found as a chef. Let's have a listen. With Chef Sung On. Can you describe uh, what Mosu is in your own words? Mosu is a restaurant. We try to serve good food, but we try to create the environment of the dining that's more personal, that's going to be cumulative of, of my background experience and the people that work here, um, and the idea of being more sensual, more personal, but also have a good food with a good service and the environment where people could enjoy themselves. That's kind of like the idea and the goal that I have for most of what do you mean when you say more personal? A personal meaning it's easy to kind of be trendy these days. Nothing against that. I enjoy those kind of environments when I go out. But really, when I meant by personal, not following what other people are trying to do and what's more generalized to the public, what they like. Once I start doing that, it's I don't think it'll be most restaurant, which I don't think it'll be personal. Where are you from originally and, and what brought you to San Francisco? Originally born in South Korea and moved to San Diego when I was 13 and spent my teenager in San Diego and Southern California. I went to U.S. Army for four years. I wanted to travel, I wanted to get out, and I think I thought it was a really good chance. And I came back, I went back home to San Diego and accidentally somehow got information about homeless school. Had no idea that this this kind of world exists at all. We would just go to a Chinese restaurant for like, you know, for birthday, you know, like, we just kind of like, had no idea that this is this, culinary world uh, it was so different and then it was it doesn't feel like it was like, like that I I could be involved in that but I, I saw that and then I was, it was very interesting so and then I went to culinary school and I signed up and from there just the rest just, is history yeah, 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 rest is just, now I'm, I'm here <laughs> as a chef uh, I actually left San Francisco to move to Asia move back to um, my route I guess and I had a choice of opening a restaurant anywhere actually in U.S. Going back, and you know, I thought about New York, um, did a research. I uh, thought about LA or um, going to Seattle. You know, things like the different options. And I, I took a look. And San Francisco, uh, it, it was nothing better than San Francisco for me. So I, it's not just about the, the the food scene. It's more like the culture and the lifestyle, people, weather uh, is very important. Obviously, produce uh, quality of the food. The people are very into the scene sometimes too much into the scene, like uh, very picky about a lot of stuff. But as a chef, I think it was uh, opening a restaurant is the biggest challenge, but also opening in San Francisco is something I wanted to make it happen. And I, when I used to live here in San Francisco, I really enjoyed being here. Yeah, it's to your point about having it be a challenge. Definitely San Francisco obviously has the highest 
number of restaurants per capita. Yeah. Also pretty expensive to open a restaurant, sustain a restaurant here. So you definitely picked a good city for a challenge. <laughs> yeah, it's very challenging, but you know, it's, it's exciting as well. Yeah. And to your other points, I mean, obviously it's also kind of the height of this culinary movement right now, or at least this current one that we're in. It's interesting to hear you say that you, ha- you really did have this choice of any city and you decided San Francisco would be the best for you to sort of prove something and also have all these different I didn't say it would be pieces. best for me I, you know it's, it's more of a challenge it's like a when, when, if, I, if you're a boxer like I, you want to challenge someone that's better than you and beat them like San Francisco was that city where it is expensive to open a restaurant and I left about two years ago and I came back and the city just economy and the money like how much it costs went up 30 to 50 percent within two, two two and a half years and i was like uh is this the right choice you know there's a skepticism but yeah i made a choice and, and I'm, I'm willing to make it happen uh to make people happy with the restaurant and this is a great location for it too i mean this is you're we're right on the corner of fillmore and geary right kind of in the center of the jazz district this has also become a very one of the newer restaurant blocks, yeah. um, almost yeah. in the city, State Bird Provisions and the Progress, and 1300 on Fillmore, which is, has been here for a little yeah. while. And of course, the Bay Glory by Y yeah. Sons. So you're Sons. in good company. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's the older kind of Japantown and the Fillmore, here. the neighborhood. They were very welcoming uh, when they heard the most is coming here. You know, the restaurant like this and restaurant like State Bird and Y's and Sons, it really changes the whole dynamic of the whole neighborhood. The diversity of it, it, it's unlike other neighborhoods in San Francisco. It's not just one thing. It's always like it's different things and different mm-hmm. genre and different style of food. So why did you pick the Fillmore out of all of the neighborhoods? Honestly, it was cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> it was more affordable for me. Right. That's very honest. Um, I think it's obvious when people choose a restaurant to open a space when they find a space. most critical thing is money. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they open and if they can't afford it you're going to jeopardize your whole business because you're the wrong place i was fortunate enough to find a lease here that i thought it was okay for me and it'll work uh, to open a business you know less risk as possible and the food making food making people happy yeah that's our goal but in order to do that a business has to go on and after i found out that there's a space here and then signed up and, and then i realized oh it's the this is a good spot, actually. And then I made all these reasons where, like, oh, yeah, this is, that's why it's good. This is why it's good. Right now, you go to the financial district or Mission or Divisadero, it's, like, overwhelming. It's very overwhelming. It's like, I don't even know how the business runs there, like how much money they have to spend just to stay, just to pay rent. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm here, and I'm pretty happy about it. And when you're probably worried about the basic fundamentals of keeping the lights on, it's probably hard to be creative and do the things that you really want to be doing, which probably got you into the world in the first place. What do you think moving to the Fillmore district as opposed to some of these more Mm -hmm. expensive neighborhoods has afforded you? If you lose the flexibility of the way we want to go versus what needs to be done, that, that, that has to happen, that it has to be done financially, it has to cover. When it's cheaper, lower in rent and lower in cost to operate the restaurant, you have a little more freedom to do to what you believe in. And I think when I say personally, and earlier I was talking about the wanting to do what I, I feel right and what I think is best for the guest, and all that is, is coming together. So going from being in the army to becoming a chef, <laughs> yeah. that must be, that must have been such a culture shock. How, how did you even come across mm. the possibility of culinary school and that as a career? 
Yeah. You mentioned that you kind of came across it, but how did right. that happen? Um, I went to Army because I, I got into a lot of trouble. Uh, I mean, it's either like go to Army or there's just a saying in the Army. It's like either go to Army, go to jail. Like, you know, the teenagers, like, <laughs> right. meet the wrong people. Uh, still good friends, but it's um, a little troublesome uh, teenagers. So I wanted to get out. I wanted to, like, do something. And there's a point where I don't know if it's my mom or my dad or my grandfather, someone in the family was you know, talking to me about, you know, what needs to be done. And usually in a teenager, you don't listen. But there's this one point where like, huh, I shouldn't go this route. My, my father and mother came here, took us to America. At that time, there's this, I don't know if it still exists, but American dream. At that time, it was like American dream. We could have a good life here. Mm-hmm. Our family could actually work hard and make a living. I think I think my parents really believed that, and then I think he, some of my friends would be on cover of like a newspaper that they did something wrong, and one of those like little neighborhood Korean magazines or something. And then I, I figure I have to do something. My parents or my grandfather, once again, they convinced me to do something different. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I was like, okay, and I tried to find an option, and and I thought going to uh, army would be a great option because I like traveling, I like little challenges. Uh, physically, I was very active. So I joined the army and then I got to travel. I had a great time. I was this kid from San Diego meeting, hanging out with some guy from Alabama, a guy from South Carolina, a guy from Jersey, people from Idaho. Like, you know, like I would never meet them. Like, when do I, while this imagination, I, I don't think I could ever meet them if I just stayed there. And then I would go to their house when the, the, the vacation and then I would hang out with them for Thanksgiving, have a Thanksgiving dinner in somewhere country in Virginia. And then I would go down to South in Texas, like, you know, go have Tex-Mex, never had it before. You know, all this different, um, it wasn't just about food, but it was just like different cultural, multicultural, even within the United States. Wow, this is America. This is, this is crazy. And after that, I have a choice of uh, staying in the army or not. I got kind of bored. Because if you do 20 years in the army, no disrespect to all the people that serve. I still have a lot of friends there and they're doing really good and they're happy with their lifestyle. For me, I thought at 20 years, I'm just going to be, you know, one of the sergeant. I didn't want to live that life personally. So I came out, just cut everything off. I didn't want to be reserved. I didn't want to be National Guard. I just like, I'm done with that stage of my life. Came out and I was, I was pretty good at fixing cars, like a Japanese import cars. And now I signed up to go to import car mechanic school to to become mechanic and i signed up and it was scottsdale arizona school was scottsdale arizona i signed up i was supposed to leave in two weeks and very accidentally one of my cousins like oh you know what about cooking you know you there's this world of culinary like i was like what is that and i looked at one of those uh, brochures and wow that's pretty interesting that's beautiful like that's awesome. And then I called. I was interested not to attend the, the school, but I just, well, that's, I had some free time because I was just waiting to go to mechanic school. And then I saw the brochure and I was like, it was Pasadena. So it's like two hours away from San Diego. Well, I'm not doing anything. And I'm, I just drove up there. I spoke to the counselor and they had an orientation uh, like week after, I believe. And very spontaneously right there, I signed up and then I called mechanic school i canceled everything I told my uh roommate that i was future roommate i told him i'm sorry like i'm not gonna make it to the school i'm not gonna be a roommate and signed up went to the orientation next week week after and started school and then first day of school i got a job at water grill this restaurant in downtown la as a dishwasher and then i started from there and uh, i'm here 
<laughs> what do you think about the brochure and kind of that lifestyle and that career seemed appealing to you? And also, why do you think your cousin mm-hmm. mentioned this to you? Had you <laughs> expressed interest in cooking before? Um, no, it, it wasn't that expression of my interest. It was more like, okay, so now you got to go to the army. Okay, you're going to be a mechanic. And she was like an art, art major. She's like, you're going to be a mechanic. What are you going to be doing in about 20 years after you become a veteran of whatever you're doing mechanic? You're still going to be down under the car and still going to get oil. Your, your wrist going to hurt. You have to lift your heavy wrench. Like, she was just kind of like joking. Uh, she was joking and I took that seriously. You know, yeah, I, I came out of the army because I wanted to do something that I, that I want to challenge myself. I want to do something different. There was a whole idea behind why I came out from the army and at that young age, I thought about like deeply, like what am I gonna be doing in twenty years? Like still, like she said, I'll be hurting, but I gotta be under the car, get all oily, gotta change the engine oil, which I enjoy, but I didn't want to do that in twenty years. And then she was like, "Hey, I actually drove by. She just moved to Pasadena to go to school. I actually drove by there, and there's this school where everyone's wearing a white coat. Really? I was like, what is that a restaurant there?" Or? I said, no, it seems like a school. They have like checkered pants. They have this hat on. It's like, oh, wow. And then she um, printed it out or, or she had something. She, she showed me. It's like, oh, this is information. And what appealed, I don't remember what appealed me like to like actually do it. But I just thought it was very fascinating. The, the, the lifestyle of chef. Like, what, is, what is that? You know, like, do they just stay in the kitchen or do they it seems so glamorous how they made it for sure mm-hmm. um, <laughs> like, that wow, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome <laughs> like I want to live that life yeah and then I got it and it's totally opposite but, <laughs> <laughs> but I still enjoy it very much so. you know we hear a lot of stories about the difference of types of kitchens especially on the east coast it's a lot more kind of rigorous and almost army like yeah. uh, do you see any similarities between the discipline you learned in the army and what you do now as a chef there is a similarity there is definitely it's definitely parallel but discipline uh, is something that you just just because you're in the army does not mean you discipline one of the chef um, at french laundry that i was working and i was working and then I was already, I already went through a discipline, very strict Austrian uh, chef, which was like a Japanese guy. So it's always like remembering and then reapplying the discipline because what the chef was like, you know, you, you don't really have that much discipline for a guy who went to army. You know, like that little thing that chefs tell me, like it kind of makes me readjust myself to be more as a chef, like molding myself to become a good chef. So it wasn't just because like, okay, I'm a disciplined guy now because I just went to the army. It's always like rechecking myself and to reassure that if I want to be a good chef, I got to like be disciplined enough to take in and perform with that same idea. This is Rebecca Goberstein and you're listening to Menu Stories, a series where we get to know the stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. This is our podcast and we'll be right back with Chef Sung An of Mosu. mentioned your parents were a big influence for you and were a big reason why you decided to join the army in the first place. How do they feel about this career path that you've chosen now? They wanted me to study like all the parents do. <laughs> they wanted me to like become like a doctor or a lawyer but you know they always they always believed in me. They never really say anything negative whatever I do whether it's going to army whether it's going to mechanic or a chef. They were always very supportive to this day. And they're proud of me that they knew my goal was to open a restaurant. 
before I was 35. I knew what I wanted to do when I was when I took online school and I always communicate with them what I wanted to do. By me being vocal about it, I thought they believed in me and then that's kind of like promising them like, that I want to do this and then go to the next level one after another and they always be very supportive. They're pretty happy now. Uh, but now we're hoping that, that I stay consistent with what I do and whatever the goal that I make, um, I'm sure they'll be very supportive. Where did you pull in all the different inspirations for Mosu? Because there's obviously Korean influence, Japanese because of your um, experience working at the Kaiseki style restaurants, and then also a little bit of Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you how did you decide what to pull from, and and how did you bring all of that together? I'm just gonna say this: uh, when Michael Bauer came in here, his price issue, whatever, I don't care. I know what I'm doing here. I'm not trying to rip people off. I know what I'm selling. My food cost is very high, and I'm okay with that. I'm happy that I'm serving good food that I try. But one thing that he mentioned in there was, oh, this everybody's doing Asian influence. Like, you know, you, know, you go to every high-end restaurant, there's Asian influence. I mean, that's kind of what, like, what he meant from what I remember. But for me, it was only natural. I'm Korean, so I, I really dig deep inside and bring that Korean, Korean side out, uh, whether it's flavor or, like I said, it's the kaiseki of colors and, and, and mixtures of uh, different flavors, that's only natural. Japanese is because I did years of Japanese uh, cooking with very traditional chef, Kaiseki. Not a Tokyo sushi chef, but Kyoto, which is the home of Kaiseki. And Chinese is one of my favorite food, and my parents used to own Chinese restaurant. Wow. Yeah, and when I was in high school, mm -hmm. uh, they owned Chinese restaurant. Very fast food, kind of like Panda Express. Mm -hmm. but. You know, I had it every day, so that's one of my favorite foods. So when I go out, my top 10 list of the restaurants that I go to are all like Chinese, Taiwanese, because I, I really love the flavor. And when I make the menu uh, or when I uh, think about the dishes that I want to prepare, it's only natural that that comes in my head. And yes, I did learn about French cuisine, culinary school, the French techniques, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to apply every single thing about the, what I learned at the French Laundry and, and all this Western kitchen. So it was pretty natural. To me. Can you explain what Kaiseki style is? We hear that um, every once in a while, and I don't <laughs> think anyone's on this show explained. You know, just to explain uh, the tradition of Kaiseki, though, uh, it's one of those meals, a frugal and Austria, uh, uh, like a really strict manner tea ceremony. That was like really traditional Kaiseki. Uh, but modern day, I'm not sure how it changed, but we could explain as a meal or in an art form that has balance of flavor, texture, appearance, colors, and not, not just the food itself, but how it's presented, the bowls and plates, seasonality, locality. So you could just say, to understand easier, kaiseki, high-end cuisine, um, that is represented as the way of service and the way the food is prepared. That's what I think the kaiseki is, and that's what I was taught by the people that I worked with. What's been the most challenging thing about everything that you've done so far and opening your first restaurant and, and bringing Mosu to life? Everything is challenging, actually, to open a restaurant, to operate. But well, the biggest challenge was to open, actually, for me. We're always trying to evolve and upgrade, not just the menu, but space itself. We just had a construction over the weekend, too, change all the lighting and because it was a little bit off balance. Mm -hmm. So we try to find and fix the, the tunes and fix what is missing and what is... What, did we go over or something? Is there anything wrong with, with the color or you know the plates? Everything is challenged. Creating environment where people enjoy. Yeah, that's a challenge. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's 
still very new restaurant and uh, trying to find its tune and trying to find who we really are you know I think we're almost there but still work to do uh, now that's a challenge another challenge is as a business um, and in San Francisco like we mentioned earlier about how hard the business is in San Francisco I don't blame anyone I blame myself and I blame me choosing San Francisco <laughs> but it's okay you know it's life goes on I, I as a chef I put everything in that I know everything that I that I've learned that I wanted to do apply it in here in, in the restaurant um, and I hope that uh, people see that and enjoy that and people come here that's kind of challenge something that's interesting that I was reading about is you don't play any music in the restaurant at all uh, it's quiet can you speak a little more to that and why you made that decision and also to that end what elements kind of in the food are influenced or even in the atmosphere and the, the environment of the restaurant are part of the Korean influence that you bring versus Japanese and Chinese. One of my best experience dining was when I was uh, when I went to Japan and when I used to work at a Japanese restaurant in LA there was no music and when I came to San Francisco and every single restaurant that I go most of them are very loud and I can speak to my friend or the companion that I went without like raising my voice. Um, they couldn't hear me. And I was, I was like, what is this? You know, like, why does it have to be like this? And it wasn't even because people were, there were so many people. It wasn't packed. I didn't think that's necessary for a restaurant. If it is a, a club, clubish, loungeish, uh, kind of, yeah, I understand that. But it wasn't. When I thought about what kind of environment that I want to create, and I think I mentioned being intimate and being private uh, and I want to create where it's more zen-ish feel the intention of that is of no music is kind of evolve around that but I'm not like saying we're not cause, because it's Fillmore during our interview <laughs> if you could even you know I hear like motorcycle I hear people yelling glasses breaking <laughs> car alarm and sirens so you do hear that so this is not those Japanese restaurants that I went here it's a little bit different Fillmore. So right now, surroundings that I want to create is almost there. But I'm thinking, do we need like waterfall sound or something? Yeah, you know, do is there? Because I, I think some people might feel awkward because they're so used to being in those loud environment or somewhat background music is coming out. But we're still kind of searching for what is right for Mosu because we're in Fillmore district. For now, we have no music. I think some people just fall in love with it because they understand like our, my intention. Some people say this is awkward. <laughs> so uh, for my job is to find a balance to to make people understand what we're trying to do. As for the Korean influence, the chef is Korean. <laughs> no, if you see the format of our menu, there's four different sections. Small bites, and there's a middle section with kind of somewhat appetizer-like uh, dishes. And the next course are elements of uh, the condiments. A condiment is very, very Korean. You have rice, we have meat. You have all these different pickles and so that one section is totally dedicated to the condiment pickles spring vegetable that's been pickled to peak of the season very simple way of cooking but high quality that's right now marinated squash but marinade not really traditional korean way but actually prepared in more kaiseki like a japanese way korean food is very very strong it could like punch in your face good kimchi kimchi yeah <laughs> i mean all this is really like garlic yeah fish sauce if it's fermented it could be too strong it would be overwhelming for fine dining mm -hmm. so my job is to kind of tone it down 
but still have that character of being Korean food mm-hmm. and as a condiment have its character and do its job and we serve multi-course of different uh, meats right now right now is squab and grilled short rib followed by a sima soup so it's like we're applying a lot of korean way of eating flavor fermentation it's done in-house or some things that we get it from korea some things has been done in winter and uh, before we open the restaurant so yeah we're trying to keep that cycle going with korean influence What's been the most rewarding thing about what you've done with Mosu and how far you've come? Rewarding comes from many different dimensions for me. Whether it's uh, the guys in the kitchen that are understanding what we're trying to do and they do a good job, that's very rewarding. People recognizing like, oh, they are like, oh, I saw your article and, and your restaurant. That's rewarding. But for me, most rewarding like, thing about you know, operating this restaurant, I think a lot of chefs would say the same thing. Just the people enjoy, um, and it's, it feels a little bit different when I used to cook for other restaurants. I used to work under different chefs. Not to be egoistic or try to put this idea about how I want this restaurant to be, and uh, starting from you know ripping out everything that's in here, just big dust used to be, and then now it's something like this, and it can, and then it's evolving to be what we want to be, and. That's one thing, and, and when people actually, people that dine here actually say like, hey, this is great, and they actually point out different stuff about like the design, the restaurant, the concept, food, especially food, and then the textures, the colors you know, that, I, that I think, and sometimes overthink, and then apply that in. And then, you know, when people actually enjoy that, not just some saying like, oh yeah, but actually like, when I look at it in their eyes, they actually enjoyed every single aspect of it. That's most rewarding to me. I think many chefs will do the same thing. Imagine it's a smaller space, so you probably really get to see every single person that comes in. I imagine you really get a sense for what their experience was like. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was a real pleasure. You just heard the 45th episode of Menu Stories, an ongoing series of multimedia stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. If you enjoyed this story, please spread the word to your friends about the work we do. Subscribe to Menu Stories on menustories.com so you can get the next episode delivered to your inbox. You can listen on our website, iTunes, and SoundCloud, and be sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. This episode was produced and photographed by yours truly with photography editing done by Monica Lowe. The audio for this episode was edited by Siska Marcus, and all video work was filmed and produced by Patrick Wong. I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein, and until next time, happy eating.